Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. This conference with Tate Reeves during um, Rebecca's show just uh, a little while ago and kind of the end of the Q&A that is there as well. Good Thursday afternoon, 2nd of April. Thanks for being with us. Yesterday was uh, a little bit of a different type show as well with uh, us taking about an hour and a half with the uh, governor during his uh, press conference. We're glad to have you along. Glad to have you along for the ride. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Don't forget, C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 is the number at C Spire. They're not just saying they uh, that they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Borky, what's up? Oh, nothing. Just making sure I'm staying sanitized and safe on this Thursday. Are you accomplishing that? I think so. I mean, I wiped everything down. We're lucky uh, here around the office that we've got um, how I will nicely describe as a germ freak in Steven Gagliano. So I know (laughs) that things are already pretty wiped down, and so I don't really have to do much, but... There you go. He's on so he's top a little of it, OCD. that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- he's been that way before coronavirus. Like, when we come in here on Sundays, he's wiping stuff down. And now, especially, like, we know he's good. Yeah, the whole wipe stuff down, use uh, hand sanitizer, et cetera, that is, um, that's new for me. I-, I have never been germ guy. I've kind of been, like, in the God made dirt and dirt don't hurt category. And generally speaking, it served me well, but uh, that seems like a, a pretty foolish mantra at uh, at this particular juncture. Uh, hey, Dad, what's up, Porky? If there's you need some issues there, 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 I know there's a bottle, a box, or whatever it is of of, of Clorox wipes on the desk there, and I know that because Richard <laughs> threw it at me one time. Yeah, but remember, it was empty. Was it empty? It was. I don't empty. remember that. I don't remember that. I just remember having to duck out of the way before my before I was taken from this earth from Richard's angry throw. Yeah. What did you say that deserved that? <laughs> I made a fourth and twenty five reference. Oh, yeah. Well, it absolutely was deserved then. <laughs> so uh you, you you did show off those cat quick like or cat like quick in uh, whatever. Instincts. I think that's what I was trying I moved. To say. What's that's what he's trying to say. Yes. Hello, Rippy. What's up? How you doing on a Thursday? Ah, uh, you know it's like Groundhog Day, same as yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I'm. We, we need with to you. change the intro music to this show to uh to I got you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, that'd be pretty good. That would Make be that pretty happen, good. Morgan. Boy, was that Super Bowl commercial apropos? Uh, <laughs> it is now, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't right. Everybody, you forgot about that. The uh, the Jeep yeah. commercial with Beer, Bill Murray, and uh, you just had it over and over and over and over again. Uh, hey, I want to share something with you. I just spoke uh, a few minutes before the show began, and I think Borky, we've got somebody from MDWFP that's going to join us this afternoon. Is that still accurate? Uh, it's actually going to be tomorrow because uh, there okay. there was uh, so. 
Somebody on the JT show today said something, and then the governor in that press conference said literally the exact opposite. So I got a call right before the show that said, hey, look, man, we still need to figure out what's true and what isn't about your ability to hunt and fish during this time. So I'll figure it out, and we will uh, be okay. on your show well, tomorrow. Because well, they, they, we were good to go going- until the governor said something completely opposite of what was said earlier today. Well, I am going to share the information that literally I got right before we came on the show. But I'm going to share it with the caveat that the park ranger who is over one of the Corps of Engineer lakes in uh, in the state of Mississippi said to me, as of right now, so as of Thursday, April 2nd, knowing that in 25 hours and 45 minutes the shelter in place order goes into into place uh, goes into effect for the state of Mississippi this is what the corps of engineers anticipates unless the information changes between now and five o'clock tomorrow so listen closely we're talking about corps of engineer lakes we're not talking about any lakes that are run by state agencies We're not talking about private bodies of water. Obviously, that's a a different deal altogether. But Mississippi's got a number of core lakes that are run and managed by the Corps of Engineers. So you're talking about federal versus, versus state. And as it was explained to me, even with the shelter in place rules in place this weekend, boat ramps will be open. So, Campgrounds, day use areas, pavilions, grilling areas, public beaches, all of those things are closed. And the majority of them have either been barricaded or you have gates that are across the roads that lead to them. You cannot use those areas. However, boat ramps, as of this afternoon, and the expectation is going into this shelter-in-place time are still open on Corps of Engineer managed lakes in Mississippi. Now, there are a couple of caveats that go along with that. If you go to a lake that has a beach area or a sandbar that is a common gathering place, Local law enforcement officials, whether it's the park rangers on the water managing the lakes, the park rangers in their trucks going through the different areas to check areas out, or sheriff's deputies who are going around and are checking on things, if you are in a gathering area and you are gathering, the crowd will be dispersed and you could be kicked off the lake. But if you're getting into a fishing boat you're on a small pontoon boat or a ski boat you can't have multiple families you can't have large groups of people on there but if you're single if it's just a couple of people you're practicing social distancing and you're following all of the guidelines that have been laid out then at least as it stands going into the weekend and as the corps of engineers understands it and plans to enforce it boat ramps will be open for the foreseeable future sports talk mississippi Streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. All right, Borky, so you and I were talking about this during the break. The reason that we have to put rules into place and guidelines into place is because nobody uses common sense. 
And and so really the like the managing principle over how this whole if you want to go fishing, if you want to be outside on public lands over the weekend and over the next three weeks works is use some common sense and use your brain and don't be an idiot and don't draw a lot of attention to yourself. And if you do those things, you'll be okay. I'm paraphrasing. That's not from any official. I'm paraphrasing. If you try to get together a big group of people to go out and ride four-wheelers or to hunt, which I know you don't really hunt in groups, or to go out on the lake or to congregate on a beach, if somebody in a position of authority finds you, they're going to break up your party and you're not helping anybody. If you and your buddy get on opposite ends of a fishing boat and you go out to fish and you do so sun up till sundown, or you do it for two hours in the morning or two hours in the afternoon, you're not going to have an issue. You're practicing social distancing. You're not breaking any laws. You're not even breaking any rules. You're going to be fine. Larry sent us a message. He said, limit boats to two. Larry, I don't know if that's a suggestion or if you're saying that's a rule. I think that's a suggestion that would keep you out of trouble. But, for example, if my family as in my wife and my three children, decide this weekend, if the weather cooperates, that we want to put a pontoon boat in the water, we can do that. As it was explained to me, because there are five of us, it was said, you know, if a sheriff's deputy pulls up or a park ranger pulls up while you're loading the boat in, they might say to you, "Eh, you really don't need this big of a party. In which you would say to them, sir, this is my wife and my three children, and we all live in the same house, and this is kind of what we're doing to get away from everybody else, and you shouldn't have an issue. So again, just be smart. And, you know, if you're dealing with a law enforcement official, whether it's a park ranger or a sheriff's deputy or a police officer or anybody else, Be polite, be courteous, understand that they've got a job to do and it's a public safety job right now as much as it is a law enforcement job. And if they tell you you've got to go, don't try to bow up and be ridiculous about it, just go. But I think you can politely explain what your situation is and you're probably okay. Thomas in Greenwood says, so the fishermen raise hell and get their way. What about those of us who want our constitutional rights respected? What do we have to do? I don't think fishermen raised hell, Thomas. I think the governor did a poor job yesterday explaining specifically because he was using the reservoir as an example of what the plan was. And I don't even know if they completely fleshed the plan out. But, Thomas, if you need to go practice your constitutional rights, you go be my guest. Well, it, and I, if you get pulled over by a police officer and you end up in jail, that's on you. I mean, don't be that guy. Don't be that My constitution. We're trying to keep our country from going into an unmitigated disaster of a tailspin that cannot be stopped economically and from a public health standpoint, but by golly, your constitutional rights, don't tell me what to do. Shut up. Just shut up. We're also, I'm just a guy on the radio, but I'm 
fairly familiar with the Constitution and how it works. We have not stepped out of the constitutional doctrine yet. Uh, this has not been a national order. The, the states have had power to do this since the inception of the document. Uh, this is... Oh, Borky, it, stop bringing logic to this conversation. Thomas just wants to pick a fight. Just ignore him. I obviously didn't. I obviously didn't. But don't try and use rationale and common sense to explain to somebody, as the texter right here says, Thomas is that guy, don't waste your time. And that's really good advice from Ken. I do love that you were going down the constitutional law path. (laughs) We're just, um, we're not stepping out of the constitutional bounds yet. Until we do, that argument doesn't really hold any water. Yeah. All right. Somebody says, I think the cross and cross just came out. Nice. Louie, can I go play golf by myself? I know a golf course that doesn't have the pro shop open but has an honor box set up. I don't know the answer to that. And, look, I'm not the expert in all these things. I just, there, there were specific questions that I've had people ask me about fishing. And so I tried to find an answer to that. I do know yesterday that the governor was clear that – Social clubs would be closed. I know a lot of golf courses are already closed. Um, If there's a golf course that's got an honor box that allows you to practice social distancing and they're okay with it, I'm not going to tell you not to go play golf. You can spread out. You can be outside. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I don't know what the rules specifically are on that. (coughs) Strider says with JT out, Thomas has picked you guys apparently. Lovely. I'm so glad. Hey, Dad, you like it when I get riled up, don't you? Uh, it makes me happy. It you know, proves that you, uh, you, you, got a, you got a heart beating in there, Cross. Every great once in a while. So the scheme aired two nights ago on HBO. Borky, you said you watched it. LSU gave the statement yesterday. We read this to you on the, uh, on the radio. This was the, uh, the story about the college basketball federal investigation scandal and whatnot. LSU statement, we are aware of the documentary first aired on March 31, 2020 on HBO. There is no change to Coach Will Wade's employment status at LSU, and we will continue to cooperate with all reviews into this matter. Okay, we didn't really get into your thoughts on this yesterday. What did you hear? How did it change how you feel about this whole thing? It, I think it mostly changed. It didn't change anything. It just reminded me that, and as Rippy pointed out, the same thing with McMillions. Like the reason they started investigating the McDonald's monopoly fraud was because a, a very introverted agent in the office had a note written, like McDonald's fraud question mark. And one of the more outgoing guys saw it and grabbed it and thought, wait, let's investigate this. And boom, they found multi-million dollar fraud. So maybe this... The outgoing guy was also bored as hell. Yeah, I mean, he's really funny. Worth watching. But um, So maybe this was born out of just happenstance. But I still can't quite figure out what the crime here is. I mean, through all of it and all the wiretaps and everything they played, NCAA issues aside, I still don't know who's a victim and who's a criminal in all of this. I can't figure it out. Because giving money to people for being good at sports doesn't feel like a crime to me. And the schools and the coaches were facilitating this. And yet during the trial and and the reason why people are going to prison are because the school somehow successfully claimed 
that they were the victims and it worked. And I can't figure out how that worked. <laughs> I mean, you hear the wiretap. Coaches, we paid him this or go get me this player. We'll do whatever it takes. And the, the runners or whatever you want to call these guys went and did it. Or in Will Wade's case, he did it himself. I, I don't know how people are going to prison over this. And wasn't that kind of one of the questions from the outset? And, I mean, remember when, when we were first talking about this, people kept going, okay, what's the crime here? And and my answer would be, well, you've got wire fraud and you've got bribery and you've got, you know, interstate commerce rules that have been broken, laws that have been broken, blah, blah, blah. But I was just very a- answering in a very by-the-book way based on what we were reading. I think we can all look at it and be like, come on, man. You really don't need people going to prison over this. You really don't. We're, well, we're not when the schools we're, are we're, painted we're, as the in a lot of ways. Too. We're talking about victimless. Sure, but are they really? No, no. That's what uh, kind of underscores you and Borky's point. Is what I was just chiming in. Is like, like I guess technically yes, but like when these universities that make millions off of these kids are painted as the victims, it seems kind of silly. It doesn't seem any school that is claiming to kind of silly. Yeah, yeah. And and then on top of that, it's like I would love to know. I would love to know any school claiming to be a victim. Do you have any coach that's on your payroll who has ever willingly been involved in violation of NCAA rules? And the answer is one hundred percent of the time, yes. Man, I won't admit it, but the answer is yes. And if that's the case, then you can't be a victim some of the time and be a willing participant other parts of the time. I don't think it works like that. Now, Borky, the other side of this, and we'll get to this coming up next, is should anybody have gone to the gone to jail for this? No. I think we can pretty much all agree on that. Should some people go to NCAA jail for this? Answer to that question might be different. We'll get into that next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Make Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Thursday afternoon, 2nd of April. Thanks for being along for the ride. If you want to be a part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. and UMMC are partnering to help Mississippi cancel COVID-19. For a limited time, COVID-19 screenings are free through the C Spire Health app for anyone in Mississippi with fever, respiratory issues, or other symptoms of the disease. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. So we were talking about the uh, HBO documentary The Scheme a little while ago, and we kind of all were in agreement that, yeah, probably nobody should have gone to jail over the basketball scandal stuff. But NCAA jail could be a little bit different story. Is there any question in your mind, Michael Borky, that LSU slash Will Wade, Sean Miller, Arizona, Bill Self, Kansas, etc., are going to eventually feel the wrath of the NCAA? 
Ooh, uh, should they and will they, I think, are, are two different questions. Um, should they? I, I think this is as solid of a case as you can possibly imagine. You remember Southern Miss basketball uh, got just absolutely hammered by the NCAA based on largely the account of one person who changed their story multiple times, and it wasn't really firsthand information. They got absolutely hammered. Coach got a 10-year show cause, basically ending his coaching career. This is the head coach, head coaches, but in the LSU case, it's the most egregious. The head coach talking specifics about players, offers, why he wouldn't take the offer, the type of offer, how much the offer was, joking about it being more than the NBA G League salary. It is clear-cut. Hearing the audio is... It's something about hearing it that makes it more real. Like, we read what was in those Yahoo columns when they got to hear it or they were privy to the information. When you hear it, it is blatantly obvious. It's indefensible that he is talking specifically about paying recruits himself. And he doesn't just talk about one or two. He says, I've cut deals with players who are better than him for less. I mean, it's it's brazen, it's wide open, and if they do nothing hmm. about it, it's too bad. I watched a mini-doc on Donnie Tindall, the Southern Miss guy, and the way he handled that, not saying uh, Will Wade's been perfect, but like the way he handled things when things got bad would have made Hugh Freeze look contrite and forthcoming. But uh, <laughs> not to keep making McMillions references, but like when you get something on video or on tape, it turns B-plus case into an A, an A case. So, you know... Seems pretty sh- uh, open and shut, but is anything ever actually open and shut in this process? Because it's not really a process. Somebody will get hammered. Not necessarily LSU or Arizona, but somebody will. Hang on to your ankles, Northern, Ariz- uh, Northern they, Arizona, Northern Illinois. North Dakota State, yeah, Eastern Illinois. They're coming for you. they got to get somebody on up here. U- ULM. Oh, wait, that was the wrong school in Louisiana. Oh, well. well. We made our point. Creighton was kind of dragged into this. Could that be um, a potential one? That's a good option. But Creighton is a, is a good basketball school, they, but they're not a big, powerful school by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Omaha, somewhere in middle America. Make an example of a team where the, the tentacles can just kind of go out to all the coasts. Um. Has anyone at, at LSU angered one of the investigators? That seems to be like the tipping point of when Katie barred the door, we're coming for you. If an investigator gets offended, then they won't stop until it's done. A meeting at the Baton McDonald's went poorly. I don't know, man. Doesn't him coaching right now kind of do that in a way? It's kind of in your face, isn't it? It's very in your face. And the statements they released and all, I mean, it's just, it's very... Bring it, because we don't believe you will. Isn't the most inconsistent part about LSU's strategy so far the fact that he didn't coach that really good team in the tournament last year? Yes. Because everything else has been pretty consistent. Yeah, he should have just. they should have just said, you have to make a decision. Either we're going to fire him or we're going to roll with him. And if you're going to roll with him, then just let him coach. Because at the end of the day, you might. I don't know that they would have won a national title, the- but they might have gotten to the Final Four. And you could have a banner saying that, and you know, say what you want about them taking it down in the in the, in the future. Nobody nobody really cares about that. Just get a Patino tattoo. It either Boom. happened or it didn't. 
Jeez. A patino tattoo. Nice. Um, I had a question about this, and I'm not sure. I can't remember where I was going with it. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess ultimately we'll sit and wait. And wait and wait. I feel like I, we asked the exact same question a year ago. Will Will Wade be the head coach of LSU when they open their season, assuming a season happens in November? Well, now we're into the, the, the issue of you know paying by. I mean, if they're going to fire him, they would almost have to fire him for cause because right now you got to figure money's tight everywhere you look. So, do you really want to pay another another fired coach? They could fire him for cause today. Based they probably on could, the documentary that rolled out two days ago. But you're going to go to court for that. I mean, you got to you got to settle. You got to be okay with that. You got to be okay with that, and then you got to be okay with well, it's pretty, well, 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 it's pretty well, simple. Wade right? might decide to play. But, well, he might, but he, he might decide he wants to burn it all down, and say, I'll take everybody with me. The act and of hearing that changes it to immediately for cause okay. because they've known it's out there. It's been reported since over a year ago that that exact phone call with that exact verbiage is there. Hey, Dad, there will be no court. What is There will that? be no court. Part of the employment agreement that he signed when they redid his deal and reinstated it was if fired for cause, Will Wade has no legal remedy. He cannot sue the school. Well, then, smart of LSU to get that. Yeah. I think part of the deal was Will Wade had a lawyer that was not at all versed in NCAA matters who's like, don't talk to the school, don't talk to the NCAA, which is why ultimately LSU, they didn't suspend Will Wade because of what was or wasn't on that tape or what he did or didn't do. They ultimately suspended Will Wade for insubordination. The boss says, we need to talk, and Will Wade says, I ain't talking to you. I'm your boss. I'm not talking to you. The NCAA wants to talk. Not talking. I'm telling you, you need to come talk. I'm not talking. Okay, you're suspended until you talk. And that That's ultimately what happened. And it cost Will Wade $400,000 in postseason bonuses last year. And it cost him having to redo his contract to be reinstated. And and ultimately gave LSU the ability to fire him whenever they needed to. Like, whenever it gets too hot, LSU can now fire him. question is whether or not Scott Woodward wants to do that. I think LSU's statement yesterday was fairly predictable, right? Nothing has changed. We're aware. We're moving forward. They'll move forward until they can't move forward anymore, and then Scott Woodward, when he has to do so, We'll fire Will Wade. And you know what you're going to see? I'm, 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 I'm doing a little bit of predicting here. But when LSU fires Will Wade, the punishment that LSU gets as a basketball program will be significantly less because they'll say, yeah, look, we took care of the problem. When, when presented with the evidence, it became clear that we had to move on and their penalties will be less. And it will be a reminder that Deals can be made 
regardless of what you are told about whether or not deals can be made or not. And Ole Miss could have far, far, far lessened the ridiculousness of their NCAA investigation if they had parted ways with Hugh Freeze two years earlier. You won't get me to disagree with that statement. Just look. It was just a little more complicated because two years earlier he beat Alabama and had Ole Miss in back-to-back New Year's Six Bowls. That's why it was complicated. That's why it was hard to do. And so you make a decision. You decide how you're going to approach it, how you're going to fight it, what you're going to do. And if you stay on the bull too long, you're eventually going to get kicked off the bull and you're going to get stomped on. That's a good point from John. I I know Bruce Pearl had an assistant get arrested in this deal, and so, you know, this is probably not the best point for me, but remember what got him fired at Tennessee? He lied. About a barbecue. Yeah, it it wasn't the violations. But it was was about about a barbecue. Yeah. Will Wade's still coaching, and he's on a federal wiretap specifically talking about dollar amounts. Bruce Pearl lied about a barbecue. Ugh. Hey, congratulations, boys. We need to get T-shirts made. Sports Talk Mississippi, part of the ignorant masses. Apparently, Alex Jones, Jones texting Jones the show today. discovered a radio show in Mississippi he doesn't like. Sports Talk Mississippi, and a sports talk show for that. No, man, I want to trade it right, he said. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Rolling toward the end of the 3 o'clock hour on this Thursday, the 2nd of April. What a gorgeous day outside. Is weather going to hold this way through the entire weekend, Borky? I hope so. We might get a little rain early next week, but since uh, we kind of have to stay at home, it'll be a good weekend to get some work done. There you go. There you go. Hey, what's the poll question today, my friend? The poll question I tweeted about 11 o'clock this morning. Got a ton of good responses so far and would love to hear all three of yours, especially yours because you have the TV angle. Um, Okay. What game do you wish you were in attendance for but were not? Or in your case, what game do you wish you were on the call for? Hmm. What's yours, Borky? Uh, Simpleton answer, the miracle on ice. Oh, really? I That would have been just... It, as long as... Now that I know the historical context of it, and I guess at the time everybody understood the insurmountable odds to begin with, but being there in that moment when they win that game and still today it's the greatest upset in sports history would have been incredible. Also, the kick six game. Imagine just being able to stand, say, on the 50-yard line, 40 rows up. And watch that happen, combine that with the storm, the, the field storming afterwards, would have been surreal to witness. Rippy, what is it for you? Hmm. I think probably Game 7 of the 2016 World Series is probably up there. Uh, the Texas-USC National Championship game would have just been pretty sweet to be at in general. Uh, I kept it 1995 and like present just because when that was like, like uh, there were plenty I could have choose from going back between I was born, but that was just how I framed it or before I was born, excuse me. But those two came to sure. mind immediately. The LeBron, what is it for you? Hey, uh, 
Oh, I, oh well, sorry, the, the LeBron Warriors game with the block and the Kyrie shot would have been pretty cool. That would have been pretty cool. Hey, Dad, what is it for you? Gotta go with the Saints Super Bowl, don't I? Feels like that feels like the right answer for me. Would have loved to have been there to see the Saints actually win a world championship. Um, for teams I don't cheer for, Rippy hit on one. Would have loved to have been at that Rose Bowl, Texas uh, USC. Uh, I'd like. It's not, there's not a specific one, but I'd love to go to an Army Navy game one day. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, those are good options, I think. Borky, I'm going to say that. I'll give you two. One that I would have liked to have been there for as a fan, and then one that I would like to have called, and my guess is that both of them will surprise you. Uh, I have told you many times that I am a sucker for like patriotic nostalgia, and even though the Yankees ultimately did not win the 2001 World Series, being at Game 3 which was the first game at Yankee Stadium of the 01 World Series when President Bush threw out the first pitch wearing a, uh, a vest underneath his jacket and just towed the rubber, went into a windup, hummed a strike, just unbelievable scene, old stadium, the whole deal. That's, that's one I would have liked to have been there for in person. And then, interestingly enough, and same city, But you just say, hey, Richard, you could call one game. And this may be a bad answer. But I have said to my wife before, do you know know when I'm going to feel like I have made it as a broadcaster? And she's like, yeah, when's that? So when I call a basketball game at Madison Square Garden, I've been to a game there. I saw a Knicks game there. It was before the renovation. But sitting courtside... Headset on, broadcasting a college basketball game from Madison Square Garden, I think will feel like kind of the pinnacle for me, at least from where I sit right now. So let's go to the 2009 Big East Men's Basketball Tournament, the five-overtime game between UConn and Syracuse that Syracuse won 127-117. to I'm sorry, six-overtime game. It went six OTs. Took the words out of my mouth there. I was about to drop that in. What, the six? Yeah, because I had originally had that mixed up with the Kimba run, but those were two years apart. Yep, this was 9 10-10 in the first overtime, six apiece in the second, 11 apiece in the third, six in the fourth and the fifth, and then Syracuse in the sixth overtime outscored UConn 17-7. 19,375 people at Madison Square Garden. I think that would have been pretty cool. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll get to some of your answers as well from Twitter. You can also send them to us on the Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Thursday afternoon, just after 4 o'clock. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Harris joins us from the Houston Texans radio broadcast team, HoustonTexans.com, etc. You can follow him on Twitter at jharrisfootball.com. 
Uh, John, I- interesting, and this is kind of a local angle, uh, Larry Tunsil wants to be paid and has said publicly that he wants to be the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. Is that going to happen in Houston? I think it has to happen, if I'm being honest. Be, I mean, think about it. The Texans gave up two first-rounders and a second-rounder. And, look, I know there were other pieces to that deal. But they were – you know, Case Stills was a really good player for us last year. But uh, let's be honest. We gave up two first-rounders at a minimum for Laramie Tunsil. And they didn't get a long-term deal done in conjunction with the deal like the Colts did with the DeForest Buckner when they made the deal. They trade a first-rounder to San Francisco. They get DeForest Buckner. And at the same time, they reworked his deal – the Texans didn't do that, and so now Laramie, being smart, knows that, knows he has leverage, and knows that he is uh, the best tackle in the game, and knows how important he is to us. Uh, all you got to do is just look at the offensive line that was there in 2018 and the line that was there in 2019 and go, man, this is really different. Why? Uh, well, 78's pretty darn good. So he's got all the leverage in the world, uh, and he's going to exercise it. Now, it, it gets interesting because he did fire his agent and decided to do this on his own, which I, I find interesting. I, I, I salute him for that. Um, he's got a team of lawyers. And you know what? Why, why pay 3% to somebody if you know that you're about to get paid? Why, why give that money up? And look, for what we know, the Texans offered, on average, 18.5 per, and he's going to get more than that. So he's going to go negotiate himself. Now, I, the only thing that does get a little tricky in this is that he's representing himself. The GM of the Texans is his head coach. So it's literally Laramie Tunsil and Bill O'Brien sitting down trying to figure this out. So it's kind of interesting how this is all going to come together. I just hope that they do get this done. Laramie said, you know, he deserves it. And I, Listen, there's been some people that came to me and said, well, I thought he was only okay last year. I'm like, man, y'all, are y'all not watching? I was like, I've, yeah. seen, every, I've seen every play in this organization uh, you know, since 2014 and, and a lot of them before that. Dwayne Brown was a very good player. And it was clear when Dwayne Brown was on the field. When Dwayne Brown was off the field, it was very clear that Dwayne was off the field. Likewise, it was clear when Laramie Tunsil was on the field and what was happening and what we could do offensively versus when he was off the field. So uh, pay the man his money. He deserves it. I think I'm biased, but I think he's the best left tackle in the game. Some will argue David Bakhtiari. Some will go with maybe some of the older heads and Tyron Smith and Trent Williams, et cetera. But give me a 25-year-old with sweet feet uh, like Laramie Tunsil. Uh, I'll take him all day, every day, and hopefully this deal will get done soon and we can move on and get Deshaun Watson's deal done then next. John, the most important tool in your toolbox, and you alluded to this a second ago, when you're negotiating anything is leverage. So, so that would be statement number one. And then statement number two, you're worth what somebody is willing to pay you. Is Laramie Tunsil worth 20 or $21 million a year? I think he is. Uh, you just... I mean, look, the going rate for, uh, you know, a big-time player, an important player, um, is, is that. I mean, look, look what quarterbacks are getting paid. So if Larry Tunsil is going to get, you know, $20 million a year, uh, you know, Deshaun's going to get, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40, uh, 35 to 40. So from that perspective, you know, you, you start looking at what the numbers, you know, really are. 
Um, and, and here's the one thing I always say to people when you start thinking about contracts, because people here are like, man, $20 million a year, I, drop, uh, I can take that at a drop of a hat. It, look, when you're talking about NFL athletes, NBA athletes, you're just talking about professional sports in general, you can't, you can't take your financial situation and project it to them. What you have to look at is, are you the best at what you do? And are you of value to your employer? And of how, how high a value are you to your employer? And if that's the case, then yes, you should get paid more than anybody else uh, in the NFL. I, I think he should be. He's got all the leverage in the world. There's no, that, that's, that's no question. And from a value standpoint to us, there's no question he's worth it. No question. And he proved that. And I don't even think he had a great, like an over-the-top, like this is the best we've ever seen Laramie year. But I thought he had a good year. Uh, and it showed his value to us. So I think he absolutely will get paid $19.5, $20 million, and it won't be an issue at all. I think the Texans will get it done. And uh, hopefully he'll be here for the next five to six years. When we talked a couple of weeks ago, and this was kind of early in the, the coronavirus thing when everybody was starting to work off-site, you told us that, that some of the people that you had talked to in Houston weren't that worried about draft prep based on not being able to do interviews and have all these one-on-one meetings. Um, we, we saw, I think it was Mickey Loomis from the Saints come out and say, look, this really changes our evaluation process and the way we go about this. Are different teams looking at this different ways, and, and how big is the potential disadvantage i think 32 teams will look at 32 different ways which okay is in all honesty not any different than the way they would go about it during a, a regular draft season um you know some teams you, know, you just t- take one thing for instance like the, the they they call it the 30 visit uh the, the teams have the opportunities to bring 30 players to basically your campus, your building, your whatever, and, and go through a thorough sit-down medicals, uh, talk with all the coaches, all that kind of stuff. And so there have been times over the years with that 30 visit, there have been people that come into the building, and I'm just like, we're not going to draft that guy. Why, 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 is, why is he here? And, and, th- and there's no rhyme or reason for it. You know, maybe there's a, a, a thought of a potential trade, et cetera, but – I've seen those people come into the building and, you know, you're just doing your due diligence, I guess, on a particular player. Maybe he comes available, um, you know, during free agency. You know, maybe there's something that your, your staff knows that maybe he'll drop in the draft, whatever the case might be. But I, I don't know that we look at it, you know, the same as the Saints or the Saints look at it the same as the Chargers. Chargers look at it the same as the Patriots, et cetera. I think everybody sort of looks at it, at it differently. And, and all you have to do is – Throw out a name, any name. Just throw out a name to scouts. And what, throw, throw that name out to five scouts that have scouted that particular player, and you'll get five differing opinions. Five differing opinions on that particular player. So my point in that is you're going to have differences throughout the entire draft process. Uh, this does, to a degree, it complicates it a little bit because I do think what it does is it takes some of those players that have got red flags for whatever reason, injury, you know, some medical concern, some off-the-field concern. It probably pushes those guys down the draft board or off the draft board to say, look, we're just not – this year we're just not going to take that risk because we don't have that question fully answered like we normally would. So I think those guys and I think some small school players that might have had an opportunity to kind of show it off during a pro day 
to remind you know some of those scouts, hey, look, yeah, I can run. Uh, I do have good size. You know, I am somebody you should consider. I think those players will probably lose out in this process. But I know when I talked to the guys, uh, you know, before we all you know vacated the building, they were pretty confident about where they were, where the board yeah. was set, um, and just kind of having to clear a few of those things up. So yeah, it complicates it a little bit. And Mickey Loomis is probably spe- speaking for Mickey Loomis. And what I mean by that is GMs they they they're on top of the college players. I mean they're they're paying attention throughout the year, but not really to the extent that the scouts, director of college scouting, etc. Those GMs really use those meetings at the combine, at the senior bowl, and then the pro day meetings, and then the campus, the thirty visits. They really use those to get to a final. Uh, kind of a final analysis. And one of those pieces will be missing, yeah. So for a GM, I would think it's probably going to be a little bit more problematic. But if you trust your personnel staff to be more than information gatherers, that they're actual scouts that will stand at the table and say, hey, Joey, what do you think about uh, you know Benito Jones from Ole Miss? Give me your true thoughts. How does he fit for us? Instead of, well, here's just all the information. You guys make the decision. The, the staffs that rely on their scouts to be – scouts and not information gatherers, I think those staffs will probably be further ahead than anybody else in this process. John, 30 seconds, no more. We're coming up on a hard time break. You are the general manager of the new NFL expansion team, the Memphis Blues, and you have the number one pick overall and you need a quarterback. Are you taking Joe Burrow or Tua Tonga-Vailoa? Why are you doing that to me, man? It's like trying to pick between my kids, bro. You're burning, Um, you're wasting your time. You're down to 20 seconds now. I know I'm down at 20 seconds, but I know my decision. I would go with Joe Burrow. I just think there's there's a cool that he has, a calm that he has, that I think would work really well for a new franchise. I think that, and I would work well in Memphis too. So I'll go Joe Burrow. You're the best. Thank you, my friend. You got it, brother. Take care. John Harris, Houston Texans sideline reporter for the Texans radio network. Always good, strong opinions. He said if he had an expansion franchise and he was the GM taking a quarterback number one, it would be Joe Burrow. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. What would you think of what John Harris said just a second ago when we asked him, if he was the GM of an expansion franchise, I, mean, I named them the Memphis Blues, playing in something other than the Liberty Bowl, perhaps. Um, I had the number one pick, was taking a quarterback, Tua or Joe Burrow, and he said Joe Burrow. I keep seeing people reference things with Burrow that – convince me that there are there are sports media people that do not watch any college football like including the national championship game the number of times that i have heard that joe burrow does not have arm strength and he's not good at throwing the football down the field blows my mind and that's well two is two is more accurate throwing the ball down the field two is a better deep ball passer he's got a stronger arm what are you watching that tells you that joe burrow not by true. the way far and away by 8% to second place, the most accurate deep ball passer in college football last year. Passes that traveled over 20 yards or, 20 yards or more. Joe Burrow completed 60% of them. Number two was 52%. He's got the arm strength, the accuracy. When people watch him play and they, they say out loud that 
Oh, he's not an accurate deep ball passer. Or Tua's better at, got more arm strength. I don't know what you're watching. Because that is clearly not the case at all. I don't disagree with anything. I don't disagree with anything Borky just said. Burrow has all the tools. There's no question about that. But that being said, I would take Tua. I think Tua is a more talented player than Joe Burrow. I think so, too, and just slightly. And you also have a little bit bit more of a sample size with Tua. Yeah. You do. I mean, Joe Burrow's first year at LSU wasn't bad. It just took a while. There was a new system. And he didn't come in until late. At, at no point, though, in a snapshot of Tua, do you find a full season where he was healthy. That is also true. Which is so, definitely something so, to consider. Anyway. Yeah. And and I don't know if it's fair for him to wear that as a scarlet letter going forward. I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. But it's a real thing for right now. Doesn't it make it the difference? Hey, Borky, right? why Borky, why don't you captain this ship? Why don't you captain this ship for a second? My internet connection has gotten weird. I'm gonna reset it. All right, just text me when you're ready. Um, but doesn't if so? Hey, Dad, you like Tua better, and you really can't go wrong with either one, right? I mean, when you're really looking at it, they're both extremely talented guys. How much does the injury component shift your thinking, though? Because Burrow, I mean, he played two full seasons, one of which was significantly better than the other at LSU, but he was at least able to do it. If you are Cincinnati, although you've seen some talk about Miami potentially trading up to the number one pick, and I think Cincinnati should take it. That's a different conversation. Does that sway your thinking at all when you're talking about these two guys? I mean, it's something you have to put on, you put on the list, right? It's something you have to consider. But you know, injuries just happen, and I think you know, the one that happened to him this past season was a real freak injury. I mean, he just you can't you can't predict those kind of things. I, I, I'm not going to be a person that says that Tua is injury prone, um, especially in, at the at the next level where I think he'll be called upon to run a little bit less. So for me, is it a consideration? Yeah. Do you have to do you have to think about it? Sure, you do, but. Would it would it change my thinking? No, it doesn't. I think they're both going to be very good and have very long careers. But there is a way where you can watch rewatch that Alabama LSU game and like what Tua did more despite the final score. He struggled in the first half, but they were both pretty sharp for the last oh forty ish minutes of that game. Oh thirty five. Sure. Yeah. And they've both played with similar advantages, right? I had a guy argue with me the other day that Joe Burrow had better, like decidedly better weapons around him than Tua at Alabama. And he said Tua, if they would have switched places, Tua would have been even more productive at LSU. And I don't know how you can come up with that thought either. They both had really elite wide receivers that were better than every single team they played except for when they played each other. But the Alabama receiving core, and I'm not very old, is the best receiving core I've ever seen in person in my life. It was insane what they did against Ole Miss. And everybody else. Yeah, I mean, that's true, too. But like that you're, was the game I not, saw in person. You're not pushing yourself too far to make that. Uh, you know, just, just for me, thinking back through the years, outside of like some of those old Miami teams, yeah, that, that that's as good a group as you'll ever see. And then... 
what would you guys do? And Richard's back now. What would you do if you were Cincinnati and Miami offered you all three of their first-round picks this year, so really just two, but all three of their first-round picks and a first-round pick next year and another pick in the middle rounds of this year's draft? Do you trade your number one pick to let Miami go get Joe Burrow for that many players? Yeah, because why would you not take it? You get that many picks and Tua. There's reporting out there that says that that would be an offer that Miami's going to or has already extended to Cincinnati. To me, if Miami did that, that would be a more, like, not the same thing, but like trading up for number one to get a guy that's not leaps and bounds better than the other is like almost a Baker Mayfield type Browns move. Would that be a move comparable to when. Mike Ditka traded the entire draft or a couple of drafts away to get Ricky Williams. I'll never forget where I was for that. Uh, wait, how, what year was that? Was still I in the then? womb? When where were you? <laughs> that would say, have been nineteen ninety ninety eight. Eight. No, I was well, on the outside. Been, I was the, free. The ninety nine draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being a Saints fan, thinking, "All right, you know, in Ditka, I trust." Oops. Ditka was the head coach of the Saints in 1998? Yeah, in 99. He was. Wow. Yeah. Did not go well. No, it didn't. Mainly because he traded... Be- because he traded a full draft. entire drafts away for a running back. Although, for a running back, running yeah. back at that time was a little bit different. different in the NFL. It was different, no, no, no question. But I've always asked the same question about that, that whole situation. What the Saints happened to them is, is expect, expected. How did the Redskins not become the best team in the league? They got two drafts, including one year where they had the first and second pick. What was that? Was that in 2000? Yeah, it was the next year. They picked LeVar Arrington and uh, – uh, or the first and the third pick. They picked LeVar Arrington and, and – uh, was it Courtney Brown? I don't remember. If I had a device, there may be worse run organizations in sports, but I'm not sure if there's one other than the Washington Redskins where former active players and coaches just openly talk about how much they hated their time there. They had the second and third picks. They picked LeVar Arrington and Chris Samuels. Which were not terrible picks. I mean, LeVar Arrington had a good career, and Chris Samuels, I think, had a good career as well. Offensive lineman. Yeah, he's all right, but I mean, again, they had a. The Saints were terrible the next year, so they had high dra- draft choices the whole way through, and they couldn't uh, couldn't do anything with it. Can you imagine? Okay, we're now looking at the 2000 NFL draft. Can you imagine in the year 2020 a quarterback not being taken until the 18th pick of the first round, and that being the only first round quarterback taken? Different game. Borky, can you name him? I don't think so. Say it one more time. There was only one quarterback taken in the first round of the 2000 NFL draft, and he was taken with the 18th pick. I'll even give you the team. New York Jets. Pennington? It was Chad Pennington. Nailed it. And he was the Jets' third pick of the first round. According to NFL.com, yeah, did you just look this up too, hey, Dad? Yeah, there wasn't another quarterback taken until 65. The entire second round, no quarterbacks. That was not my nugget. Go ahead, hey, Dad. 
Well, let's say the 65th pick was Giovanni Comarzi to the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to assume that if I go down here to the sixth round, I'm going to find Tom Brady. Is that right? Chris Redman was taken by the Ravens at number 75. Yep, I'm right. 199, Tom Brady. What Mississippi school had two first-round picks in this draft? Jackson State. Yeah, there you go. So, is the year 2000 the worst quarterback class in NFL history? However, just Brady alone brings them up. The greatest of all time comes out of it. Yeah. Pennington was a decent quarterback. Pennington was okay. Mark Bulger had some success. T. Martin, not so much in that class. Uh, Wow. Your boy Giovanni didn't really work out. Chris Redman went to Louisville. boy. Or uh, from Louisville. Mm. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Orky and I were having a conversation during the break. I was circling back to his poll question from earlier. It's kind of an open-ended poll question. We'll get to some of your answers as well. It's the one game you wish you were in attendance for. And then Borky put a caveat in there for me. He said, or Richard, if you could pick one game to call. I gave you a basketball game earlier. I I went to the 09 Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. Um, The six-overtime game between UConn and Syracuse. We we were talking in the break. I said, Borky, if you said pick one college football game ever that you could be the play-by-play broadcaster on, what would it be? How about this? Uh, Georgia-Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl as a college football playoff semifinal game. Not to be a prisoner in recency bias, but I mean, I've been around for 28 years, and I have not seen a better college football game than that one. When you consider the setting, the Rose Bowl, perfect. And it was a, a, just a perfect day, too, on top of it all. The stakes being a playoff game, so an extremely important game. And then the quality of the game itself is unmatched. In my lifetime... That is the best game that's ever been played when you consider all those factors. That game also felt like it lasted all day in a good way because most people had nothing else to do. Kind of ran over into kickoff of the Sugar Bowl that night, didn't it? Yeah. I I, I actually think, though, Borky, you are a little bit of a prisoner of the moment in in that one. I, I think there's a pretty significant argument to be made that Southern Cal, Texas, in that yeah. exact same stadium for a national championship as opposed to a semifinal game that just delivered everything. I mean, you, you had star power. You had individual performances. You had the unbelievable crowd. It was star-studded. whole thing was at night. I mean, th- there may be, maybe there's something to be said for the game starting in the afternoon and getting the sunset off over the San Gabriel Mountains. Maybe that adds something to it. These names, man. Vince Young, he went 30 of 40 for 267, 19 carries, 200 yards on the ground. Matt Leinert, 29 of 40, 365. Lendale White, 20 carries, 124 yards. Reggie Bush, 13 uh, carries, 82 yards. And you had you had studs on both sides of the ball in that game as well. Oh, yeah. Just incredible. 
And that probably should be the answer for the game that I'd like to call. I just it, It's hard for me to say, you know what? I would have liked to have been on the call for that, knowing that Keith Jackson was actually the one that did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my, my uh, you know, maybe my ego's big enough to uh, say, yeah, I could slide into that in place of Chris Fowler. Saying I could slide in there in place of Keith Jackson feels a little, um, little out of place. A little out of place. Wasn't that the, yeah, that was the game because I found the picture of uh, a USC cheerleader Hands up in the air, big smile on her face when uh, Texas is scoring. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> so you had everything. So one of the song girls? Yep. Oh, I've got the it, It's so funny. All the other ones are looking at each other like, oh, this sucks. And she's hands in the air, big smile. She's jumping, having a good time. <laughs> hey, Dad, I can't decide how much of a story this is, but it is something that has been picked up nationally. And so I think it's at least something we ought to talk about for a minute um mike leach in the news not anything football related but twitter related uh he has received a significant amount of criticism nationally but i don't know if i don't know how deserved it really is uh a tweet that was a picture of an elderly woman with knitting sticks in her hand and the caption read after two weeks of quarantine with her husband gertrude decided to knit him a scarf However, the lady was not knitting a scarf. She was knitting a noose. Um, stories on ESPN. Mike Leach has removed the tweet and he's apologized and said, uh, let, me, let me get his exact quote. He tweeted, I sincerely regret if my choice of images in my tweets were found offensive. I had no intention of offending anyone that was earlier today. There are some football players who responded to the tweet. Uh, including Errol Thompson and Fabian Lovett and a professor, a sociology professor at uh, Mississippi State, Dr. Margaret Hagerman, who uh, said that lynching jokes are incredibly offensive anywhere and especially in Mississippi and suggested that Leach delete the tweet and visit the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to learn about, quote, this brutal history. I'll just give you my thought here and then, hey, Dad, I'll kind of let you chime in however you see fit. Mike Leach, and he said he didn't intend to offend anyone. It was a bad choice because you just can't make noose tweets in Mississippi or noose jokes in Mississippi, even if they're lighthearted and there's no racial component. Mike Leach was not making a tweet in which he was intending to make a racist comment or an insensitive comment. I think he was just kind of being funny. It was a poor choice. That does not make him a racist. That does not make him insensitive. That does not make him anything other than somebody who just kind of sometimes it's ready, fire, aim when it comes to Twitter. It's not the first time that he has taken something down in Twitter because he got some backlash for it. And beyond that, it kind of feels like a non-story. Am I, am I making too little of it? I, I, I'm sort of with you on this. I, I saw the tweet when it happened yesterday. I didn't even think anything of it. I was like, okay, another meme from Coach Coach Leach. Move on with my life. Uh, and then a group text I'm in with some other media members here. Uh, they said, oh, that's that's not a good look. And I, at that point, it, it was the first time that it occurred to me. It's like, yeah, I mean, a noose. I, I sort of see it. But even then, I didn't think anything of it. 
later throughout the uh, the night, I started seeing some tweets from some of the players who obviously did not take it as a joke. And at the end of the day, you know, that's you know, if you're going to be the coach of a of a of a team, and your players are offended by something you you do, you you can't have that. So, um. I feel like I'm sort of like the old, you know, crotchety old man here because I, I, I don't think that I, I don't think it was that big a deal, but I understand why it's a big deal to some. I'll put it that way. Yeah, it would be a kind of fit the complete bill for a manufactured like outrage. Probably it's poor choice, but kind of nothing burger if it weren't own player his own players like a few of them being involved in the story because like that's the peculiar part of this, isn't it? Or that's what right. makes it, I guess, somewhat substantive. Right. Errol Thompson retweeted it with the hand on the chin, eyebrow raised, thinking emoji. Yeah. Redshirt freshman, defense, uh, sophomore defensive end Fabian Lovett responded to the tweet with WTF, to which Kobe Johnson responded to Lovett's tweet, facts, he tripping. And then you obviously got the uh, Dr. Hagerman, uh, Hagerman uh, sociology professor, uh, professor at Mississippi State response as well. Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, this isn't the first time for Leach. But the the, the other time, you know, if, if, if we're thinking of the same time, was when he uh, tweeted out a, a link to a YouTube video that was sort of fabricated uh, information. This was just, he was just tweeting out a meme. He thought it was funny, and and people didn't take it that way. So they're not, they're not really the same well, thing in my eye, but it, it is yeah, what it is. Th- there was the whole... The incident that you're talking about, and then the comments that he made about Mitt Romney as well. That were I forgot about Mitt Romney. Yeah, that's right. He had a conspiracy theory thing too that got Dan Wolken all up in arms. That, I that's that. what I was talking about. That's that's okay. the video I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably lesson learned for Mike Leach. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see how that no, goes. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not saying that he won't continue to tweet things and possibly even tweet things that ultimately he has to take down. But my guess is with regard to tweets that whether they are intended that way or not, by some are considered to be racially insensitive, probably won't allow himself to go down that road again, I would think. that That's all I mean by lesson learned. Probably. But you, 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 I, I, I take nothing for granted with Mike Leach. Okay, that's fair enough. Some of your responses on the Ceasefire text line. Um, only reason this is a story is because he's famous, and way too many people enjoy getting their attention from inside their own echo chamber. That's from Jason. Oh yeah. Again, well, I think it's his, overblown. It was, I don't know. It's 100% his players that. The, it's his players that are ones that are being offended here. Not, yeah. I, I, I don't think the outside voices mean anything to him. But when Errol Thompson and Kobe Jones and Fabian Lovett are saying something, you, you don't really have any choice but to act. Gino says, "Oh wow, <laughs> I don't know if this is intentional wording or not." But Gino says, "Tell him to just hang around. Something else will come and take the spotlight." Robert and Oak Grove says people have no sense of humor anymore, just looking to be offended. And, and yeah, I mean, I I get all of those things. But I think the point that Haydad made is a relevant point. He's got players on his football team right now that clearly this didn't sit well with. 
Mike says he would guess that some of those players are students of Hagerman's. Maybe so. Possible. So anyway, that story's out there today. Fun times. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick timeout and be back with you to wrap up the 4 o'clock hour. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. C Spire and UMMC are partnering to help Mississippi cancel COVID-19. For a limited time, COVID-19 screenings are free through the C Spire Health app for anyone in Mississippi with fever, respiratory issues, or other symptoms of the disease. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Jason. Mike Leach being muzzled by national media and a professor who makes money crying about society would be a travesty. It's obvious that what the meme meant, I've seen a million just like it, but when there's anything that can be inferred, it will be... He's just kind of wondering out loud there. It's quite simple that if the players did not react in this way, then all of the reaction you're seeing on the media side... Uh, would be an indicator of people that are bored without sports, overblown, whatever you want to call it. But once the players react the way they do, um, it should have been taken down and the coach should apologize for it. That, that, that's the Which catalyst for this conversation. Exactly. If that didn't happen, if the players saw it and, and did not take offense to it and you still had these articles and, and stuff and the commentary from the media about how gross it is and all of that stuff that would be overblown but when you have players african-american players who are taking offense to it you have to treat it differently you can disagree with that that's how it has to be done at the end of the day there are some there's some images that are just offensive to certain people at the end of the day and a noose is one of them and they're just you know you just can't do that i guess i think you're onto something there and uh, Argo said he can handle it internally with the players. Of course he can. Yeah. And he will. He will. And, you know, obviously that's something that will be handled internally and something that we won't be privy to, but my guess is Mike Leach will... <laughs> he might turn that into a, a long history lesson and everybody comes away enlightened from it. You know, just just kind of from what you've seen of him, I, I wouldn't think that it would be necessarily where he calls a player in and says, look, that was a bad choice, my bad, I apologize for that, and carries on. Because he's somebody that is engaging and likes to talk about history and, you know, is genuinely interested in learning. And again, I am completely speculating here. But I would think that Mike Leach might ask Errol Thompson or Fabian Lovett or others that had an issue with it why specifically they had an issue and to explain to him uh, you know, what their concern was. It feels like that could be a conversation as opposed to just a checking a box of apologizing and moving on. Yeah. If you're know, am I crazy could to you think steer that? steer him away from Twitter and towards like TikTok? I feel like that could be pretty entertaining and less controversial. <laughs> <sighs> It'd be fun for all of us. Do you have TikTok? No, I do, I do not. So maybe I'm being a hypocrite. 
Maybe you should get TikTok. Maybe you could produce TikTok content for us. Need to reach that demographic. Fifteen I don't really and see under, I guess. Accomplish that. Yeah, I don't know. You do dance. Isn't that what it is? I I haven't actually seen like the user side of it, but don't they like tell you how to I've do a seen, dance like, or something? I've seen like the videos. It seems like a longer vine. Fine. That was something that came and went. Or probably came and then got bought by somebody and then went away. Well, was, once Instagram started doing videos, I think that killed Vine. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, let's see here. I, hey, guys, I think uh, the reason it was offensive was because it was a noose, which is symbolic to race. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, David says, no wonder we can't watch Blazing Saddles anymore. Greg says, uh, never right to do wrong, never wrong to do right. Put that in the bank, guys. That's from Greg as well. Uh, ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you want to be a part of the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Borky's poll question, what's the one game you wish you were in attendance for? We will read yours and give you some of ours. We've given you some of ours today. Some of your responses our buddy Rhino, who is the producer for the JT Show, says USA 2-0, or if you prefer, Dos Acero against Mexico in the round of 16 at the 2002 World Cup. He also gave us the YouTube link. Uh, we got one here. Uh, Yankees game. Richard Cross, I'll go with you whenever you want. After 9-11, got tearful eyes and a sore throat every time I watch it. That's from Wade. Jason says 1980 state against Alabama. Tony goes with Braves winning the World Series in 1995. He wants to be at uh, the final game of that series where Tom Glavin pitched a gym. Mike says, I wish I had been at the 16th green on Sunday at the 2005 Masters. Pretty good spot there. We have a 2016 Game 7 of the World Series. Uh, John uh, John Oliver says he would like to have been at the, ninth, uh, the two, 2015 Egg Bowl in Starkville, Dak Prescott's senior night. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll take a timeout. Be back with you for the 5 o'clock hour on this Thursday. Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. And C Spire, they're not just saying they're, they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. Now, more than ever, Mississippi needs to stay connected and C Spire is working to make that happen from offering free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. They're even partnering with UMMC to turn the C Spire Health app into a free virtual triage center for anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19. You can learn more online at cspire.com slash cspirecares. We're glad to be with you. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College 
football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Check in with your local Mississippi Ford dealers if you're looking for a car, truck, van, SUV. They've got plenty on the lot. They've got some deals, and they want to help you. Service centers at your local Ford dealers are still open. And in a time where you've got plenty to worry about, don't worry about your car's service. Some of your local Mississippi Ford dealers can even arrange for pickup and drop-off of your ve- uh, of your vehicle. Contact them for more information today. All right, Brett McMurphy, formerly of ESPN, now with Stadium, online at watchstadium.com, has a... Um, it's a series of stories that he has written. And for this series of stories, they've asked ADs all over the country. 112 athletics directors were contacted by Stadium for comments. They're looking at a bunch of different angles related to you know what's going on in college athletics right now, from budget woes and concerns to what the football season might look like. And here are some of the ideas that are just floating around. And that's all they're doing right now is floating, right? Nobody knows the answer. No athletics director, no conference commissioner, no head coach knows exactly where we're going to end up. They're all spitballing ideas. They are developing short-term plans, medium-range plans, long-term plans, optimistic plans, pessimistic plans. It's like just one big series of whiteboards where they're putting everything out there to try and prepare for they don't know what. Right? I mean, we all would like to move forward as if there was going to be a college football season starting on August 29th and that first full Saturday being September the 5th. But we just don't know. Here is, or here are some of the ideas that are floating. If the college football season cannot begin August 29th slash September 5th, what's on the table? One Power 5 athletic director asked if schools can't begin in-person practices until August or September. When would the season be able to begin, October or later? This was a response from a Power 5 AD. If we have to delay the start of the season, we could split it between two semesters. Some bowls may not occur because of this, but we could play a full season, a majority of the bowls and the playoffs. He says, look, we're doing all types of contingency planning, even if these hypothetical scenarios never come close to happening. The biggest issue is a start date right now is a moving target. So let's press pause there for just a second. And let's say that by some point in the fall, we are able to start a college football season, but it's not the 1st of September, end of August, 1st of September. Do you guys think that whomever the powers that be are that will ultimately have to make these decisions would be on board with a season that extends into the spring semester? I don't think they have a choice, do you? No. If they are given the opportunity to play football games, they will take it in any way, shape, or form that they can. And the reason is simple. Money. I mean, we don't want everything necessarily to boil down to money, but it's about money. College football, for the overwhelming majority, 
of Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, junior college, et cetera, programs, football is the driving economic force. It generates the revenue that allows everything else in the department to happen. And so if that means you've got to start the season on October 1st and you play it through the second week of December and push a conference championship game back to the third week of December and then take a week off and then have whatever bowl games you can January 1st that week, maybe you push the college football championship game back a week or two, then you do it, right? You don't have any options. Well, I take it back. You have an option, but it's not one anybody's going to take. So, yeah, if we have to, they're gonna they're gonna get football in. However, they have to do it. Whatever they have to do, whoever they have to step over to do it. If they have to tell women's basketball, men's basketball, whoever they have to to, to inconvenience, there's gonna be football, one way or another. My question is: Let's pretend and hoping this doesn't have to happen that they play games in January, February, and March. That's the season they lay out. Will everybody be as invested? Will there be 60,000 people in stadiums seven Saturdays a year here? Uh, Will there be that kind of interest, and will the tailgate lots be full and all of that stuff? Or will the season alter our habits? I mean, people still pay for season tickets, right? Yeah. Those those deadlines haven't come yet, so I don't know. My my guess is that yes, Michael Borky, whenever it is played, people will come. People and will come, Borky. It, if it's only a one year thing, like if it's a novelty. I mean, you would lose spring practice next year in that scenario, obviously. You wouldn't finish the season in March and then play <laughs> have spring practice starting in April. But if it's a one-year thing, there would be a novelty to it, and people would go. I mean, yeah, you might have some crowds that are affected by cold weather. I mean, we play football games in cold weather in November and December anyway. So bundle up and go. Do you know how fun? I mean, we all want the football season in the fall, right? We're going to be dying for football when it finally gets here. But can you imagine a spring? And and let's just say that football season starts on January 4th, where you have a full college football season, a basketball season, and the start of college baseball happening at the same time. It'd be something. After, We'd be very busy, Rippy and I. We would all be busy, and there wouldn't be enough time in the day to talk about all of it in the three hours that we have every afternoon. And we would be all over the place. I mean, we, you know, basketball and baseball and football and all kinds of craziness. I mean, it's like you better. Kiss your wife and kids bye on January 1st. Hey, let's eat our black-eyed peas and cabbage and get ready because we got to go. I'll see you in May. Would free up a lot of time uh, for me during the workday to do some projects I've always wanted to do. 
That's for sure. During Pla- the work day. Yeah, because pl- planning a show wouldn't, I mean, that wouldn't even have to be a thing oh. for those three months. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another uh, athletics director said that they would uh, they would favor the season being played over two semesters, something that presidents usually have been against. Says if we could play in a non-traditional season and extend into the winter after the traditional holiday break, I would be more optimistic about a 12-game season, but it's too early to tell. If you could start in October and play through December, that would be fine. It wouldn't alter all that much, would it? Just pull up the calendar real quick. So looking ahead to October of 2020, you have five Saturdays in October. 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24th, 4th, and 31st. You have four Saturdays in November, so that gets you to nine games. And then you could use the first three Saturdays of December to finish out a 12-game regular season. You would take off the week of Christmas, come back, have your conference championship game on January 2nd, or games on January 2nd, and then start the bowl season the following weekend. And then maybe go the 16th for the playoff semifinals and the 23rd or go over to Monday the 25th for the national championship game? I think that works. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Just kind of continuing with some from this article at watchstadium.com written by Brett McMurphy. But I'll tell you what's encouraging to me, guys, with – when we're talking about, okay, what's college football season going to like? we got to get started. When do they have to start practice so that we can start the season on time? It feels like all of the people that are in leadership positions recognize that right now what we're dealing with was a, is a massive amount of uncertainty. They don't have their heads buried in the sand, and they are looking at their budgets – And I think this goes from the University of Texas, who was the highest grossing athletics or football program in the country last year, to ULM, who was the lowest grossing of the group of five schools. So whether you are the the school that grosses the least or the school that grosses the most, you realize that football covers more of your budget than anything else and that without it, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill said everything is on the table. Um, we talked about splitting it between a couple of semesters. There was an AD, a Power 5 AD that said, We're doing all types of contingency planning, even if these hypothetical scenarios never come close to happening. The biggest issue issue is the start date being a moving moving target. One Power 5 AD agreed that college football season could be moved to the spring. Just period. Move the whole thing to the spring. They say, would that be the preferred situation? Absolutely not. But the lights have to be kept on somehow. These are the quotes to me that are kind of the money quotes in this story. The lights have to be kept on somehow. Power 5 AD, 
I think being open to a non-traditional season is a must for athletic departments to survive. Group of 5 AD. If it's our only option, we absolutely would have to do it in the spring. It would be incredibly difficult for us to survive financially without football revenue. That's how critical it is to each university. We have to be creative in our thinking on this. Is that encouraging to you? Man, it's hard to say. Like, even Nick Saban today, just it, he was the first one that pretty much said, Stop asking. Well, he's not the first one to say, Stop asking, but pretty much no, none of us know, so I can't answer your question. Um, it's encouraging that at least they have a plan in place and they're seemingly, in a way, optimistic that we will get football at some point. As long as they keep that message, I'll be good. But if they start talking about, you know, it's more likely that we'll end up canceling or this doesn't work, that's when it it starts upsetting me. Like, the NBA keeping up this idea that, oh, we're going to come back and play in Vegas, at least it gives me a little bit of hope that, hey, maybe I'll get to watch my favorite team play basketball again this year at some point. Once they start talking about, ah, there's more likely cancellation, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, it's tough now without sports, but at least, to me, there's still light at the end of the tunnel. Like, all the baseball's working on a plan right now, and NBA's working on a plan, and although it's different, all of these athletic directors are talking about, hey, here's what we're going to do. Hey, maybe we can start in October, and you know what? That's not that bad. It's later, but it's still football this fall. Once that shifts to we're not going to have it, I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Because right now I still have optimism in spite of all the uncertainty. I don't have any you know optimism that, for, for basketball this season. I think that's done. I don't think for the NBA, NBA will be back. Yeah. And baseball is very iffy to me. I think there's still an opportunity for football to be here this year. but I think there's too much money on the line for the NBA for it not to come back in some form. Kind of like you football. Might be and all of these others. I have a feeling they're going to do playoffs only, but add two teams from each conference. They so also 10 instead of 8. More time than baseball. Because like, the NBA is flirting with the idea of pushing it to the season to, no, to December anyway, so you have more time to get this done. I mean, clearly Major League Baseball is not playing a 162-game schedule. To me, Major League Baseball, at this point, the best case feels like 100 games. Best case. But we're more like something that starts around mid-July to August 1st, where they play an 80-game schedule or an 81-game schedule, and the playoffs finish around Thanksgiving. And obviously, that's not an ideal situation. See, to me, though, the the difference in professional sports and college sports are, generally speaking, your professional friend. Now, nobody wants to lose money, right? Nobody wants to lose money. But your professional sports are owned, or a bunch of teams owned by billionaires, and. The teams have been making money hand over fist. And so the future of the leagues are not in jeopardy. In college sports, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, the loss of a single football season 
creates a significant deficit for likely every athletics department in the country, but certainly for the overwhelming majority of athletics departments in the country. And you're looking at the possibility of having to either skip a season or maybe even eliminate sports, which means you're eliminating scholarships and educational opportunities, and you've got facilities that are already built. That you know, There's just so much. College athletics legitimately cannot afford for there not to be a football season if there's any possible way to play it. And that's why I think you're getting these kind of frank and honest answers from ADs that go, and I'll point to one other thing. You know, we've kicked around the idea of what if you just play a conference slate? Well, if you do that, you're looking at the loss of at least – two home games, and in some cases the loss of four home games. So that's significant revenue that you're losing. Not all of it, but significant. And if you do that, you're also losing all of the buy games. And it's pretty clear that for teams that play in the Big South or the Sun Belt or even in Conference USA, I mean, everybody wants to play for a conference championship. But the games that really matter to those teams, and I mean matter in terms of their budget, are the non-conference games where they get paid to go play somewhere else. Right? So, so I mean, Southern Miss not getting a check for a million and a half dollars to go play a, a road game in... Where do they go this year? They go to Auburn this year? I'm using my device. Hold on. Yes, Auburn. They go to Auburn. That's probably a $2 million check that Southern Miss is going to get. And then they have an athletics department budget of $25 million. That is 10% of the entire annual budget off of that one check. And then you take away two. I don't know how many conference games they play, but at least two non-conference games are coming off. What, Jackson State and South Alabama? Those Jackson State would be a great home crowd for Southern Miss. Yeah. Those non-conference games matter, and they matter more for group of five teams than they matter for for power five teams. Is it fair to estimate that that's a million dollars lost if they don't play those two games? I mean, I, it feels like a fair number, but I have no way of knowing. No way of knowing how much money is even generated if, by even if it's, a home game. Even if it's just a, a half million, though. I mean, we're we're talking a, a reasonable percentage of their athletic budget. Yeah. Sure. Um, I mean, probably, what, a million dollars or so in ticket sales? Yeah. Plus concessions and... I mean, if you had a $30 ticket and sold 30000 of those, that's $900,000. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, we're just talking about gross numbers. I mean, that doesn't take into the cost of putting the game on and all those things. I think when you look at all of those things, and, and, and I'm not trying to get, like, to drown in numbers here, but if you look at all of those things, it feels like, And, I, and I'm, again, I'm kind of borrowing some of the quotes from this story at, at Watch Stadium. 
they're going to do whatever they have to do to play the college football season. And it may be a very non-traditional college football season. But if it's August 15th before we get the all clear on COVID-19 or September 1st, let's before we can get our lives back to normal, then I think we're going to get our lives back to normal with a full college football season a month and a half later, one way or another. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon, April 2nd, weekend just around the corner. I haven't even let myself go and look at what would have begun in terms of baseball tonight. This would have start a week four. Realize how fast the college baseball season would be going? We would be rolling into week four of the college baseball season. Now it feels like week four of what year? Yeah, I I know. What was it? The um, the the internet meme that I lived through the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands, and March of twenty (laughs) twenty. Yup. Kind of uh, kind of feels that way. Peter Schrager on Good Morning Football and NFL.com put together a uh, a new mock draft. And it doesn't feel like, at least based on that mock draft, like they're going to be a ton of surprises. Like kind of what we think right now is probably how it ends up. Now, actually ending up that way may be an altogether different thing. He's got Joe Burrow going one to Cincinnati, as we all anticipate being the case. He's got Tua going to Miami at number five. And then Justin Herbert going to L.A. at number six. By the way, between number one and number five, uh, Chase Young from Ohio State to the Redskins, Jeff Okuda from Ohio State, the corner to the Lions, Dedrick Willis, the offensive lineman from Alabama to the Giants, and then Tua and Justin Herbert. Um, Auburn's Derek Brown going at eight to the Cardinals. Just looking at SEC guys. Uh, Jerry Judy at 12 going to the Raiders. Uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia going at 14 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And wouldn't that be cool to get drafted as an offensive lineman to Tampa Bay at this time? Yeah, you Caleb can Chick- block for Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> oh, wait. They signed him today. Did they really? Yeah, Blaine Gabbert, the same guy that... Uh, it was before Gruden's time. I guess Gruden was the coach, or was a coach while this was going on, but they still did those quarterback film rooms. And I don't recognize the guy that was running it, but the guy asked him, so if I'm a GM that tells you... Why should I or ask you, why should I draft you? What would you say? He said, well, because then I'll have to beat you every week for 16 seasons. I love the enthusiasm. <laughs> well. He was a top uh, 10 pick. I guess Gruden just wasn't with his ESPN at this point because he was definitely not. He was definitely out of football. Uh, he was drafted in 2011, I think. 
Yeah, maybe they weren't doing that version of Film Room at that point. Former Tennessee Titan Blaine Gabbert. Who drafted him? Jacksonville? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Caleb on Chason from LSU at 16 to the Falcons as an edge rusher. Don't like Xavier that. McKinney as a safety to Alabama. Wait, what would you say about Chason? Don't like that. Don't like, oh. <laughs> that feels like he's going to be a pretty good player in the NFL. Yeah, I would, I would be surprised if he wasn't. Xavier McKinney from Alabama, safety going to Dallas. Henry Ruggs III from Alabama, wide receiver, going to the Dolphins. How about Ruggs and Tonga Vailoa being reunited there? Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU, going to the Raiders at 19. This is a uh, a draft put together by NFL.com by Peter Schrager. They know him from Good Morning Football. C.J. Henderson from Florida to the Jags at number 20. Justin Jefferson from LSU to the Eagles at 21. It's almost like there were some guys in the uh, SEC that could play. DeAndre Swift from Georgia to the Dolphins at 26. First-round running back for the Dolphins. Marlon Davidson from Auburn to the Titans at pick number 29, edge rusher. Christian Fulton to the 49ers LSU cornerback. That's at number 31. It's a lot of Alabama and LSU in the first round of the draft. That's not surprising. Two best teams in college football last year. And then a few Georgia guys as well. I do love the Patriots pick. You didn't mention it because it's not an SEC guy, but imagine being the Patriots, losing Tom Brady, and then he may be a great player, but telling your fan base that after all of that, we're going to draft Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois University. Safety. That'll get the people back. Says about the Patriots' first-round pick, they'll be in the hunt for a quarterback, but not sure Jordan Love, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, or Jalen Hurts make a ton of sense at this point in the draft. Does a do-it-all safety from a small school? Maybe not initially, but scouts rave about Jeremy Chin, whose metrics lined up with Isaiah Simmons at the Combine. Isaiah Simmons, of course, from Clemson. Capable of playing safety or linebacker, Chin would be learning from Bill Belichick. The linebacker core, the McCourty brothers, and Patrick Chung, and could be used in a variety of ways. You're still not convinced, are you, Borky? <laughs> could be a great player. <laughs> oh, man. You know what they deserve? A bunch of losing seasons in a row. Just to balance <laughs> the scales a little bit. I mean, all the cheating. like the Forget the deflate gate thing, because... He slightly underinflated footballs, and they beat the Colts by a billion points. But they had a guy filming the Cincinnati Bengals, the worst team in the NFL. <laughs> you deserve to lose. Now that Brady's gone, I hope you lose for the next 10 years. The deflating you- stuff was probably a pretty large riff, though, in... Uh- in this eventual divorce, though, right? Because, like, Brady felt pretty alienated by that because Belichick had the whole Spygate thing. was like, I'm making sure I have nothing to do with this. 
And Kraft didn't really go to bat for him either. Yeah, it was kind of Tom Brady doing his thing on his own. By the way, Tom Brady is not going to have to live in a van down by the river. He is uh, he's renting a house in St. Petersburg. So do you you know do you rent in Tampa? Do you rent in St. Petersburg? Do you buy? There's probably not a lot of reason to buy. So if you're worth you know there's a combined net worth in your household of about a billion dollars, give or take. And you've got a supermodel wife and a house full of kids you got to take care of. you got to have somewhere nice to live, right? When you start uh, getting into the Tampa-St. Pete market, you're, there, there's probably a finite number of houses that would be fitting for Tom Brady. Uh, he found one. Derek Jeter still has a house in Tampa. I guess that was the off-season home for Derek Jeter. Tampa, obviously, where the uh, the Yankees have their – Spring training facility as well. They're in the Tampa St. Pete area at George Steinbrenner Field. A 30,000 square foot mansion. Tom Brady will be renting that for the time that he's in Tampa. A number I saw was $110,000 a month. Okay. Probably Does that include utilities? Somewhere. <laughs> I, I saw that property taxes were like eighteen grand a month or something like that for him. It's on an for island, Jeter. yeah. For Jeter, the I guess the owner of the house, if you will, yeah. it's on an island in like in the bay in between Tampa and Saint Petersburg. So the people call it Saint Jetersburg. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's pretty good. So Tom Brady's going to be making $25 million to play for Tampa Bay. And he's renting. So if, it, yeah, loser. well, I mean, so $1.32 million in uh, rental expense, if indeed it is 110000 a month. I wonder how much negotiating there was. Like, does he call up Jeter and say, hey, you want to rent your house in Tampa Bay? I know you're in South Florida now. Sure, man. Yeah, what do you want for it a month? Uh, man, I got to have 150 a month. Man, I'm not paying 150 thousand a month. I'll give you a hundred. I tell you what, give me 110 and we're good. All right, that's cool. Does it go like that? Just a conversation between friends. We all have them. Probably or, some 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 memorabilia was exchanged. Or, or do you think Brady just calls up Jeter and's like, uh, or or maybe somebody called on his behalf, it's like. Hey, Brady wants to rent your house. Uh, cool, it's one ten a month. All right, no problem. New We're York's good. legend versus Boston's legend dealing with each other like that. Nobody wants that. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't maybe maybe you don't care at all. I would be fascinated to what that how that went down. Was there any debate over rental expense at all, or is it just here's the number, take it or leave it? Can I have a pet there? No pets allowed. You can have a boat, though.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.